Yes, here we go again. We're live. And hi, Jack, first of all. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks to you for coming. Um, so, so excited for this, actually. Um, uh, just a little, you know, um, uh, introduction. Uh, if you are going to watch this for the first time, this is Security Break. Uh, just a little podcast of mine where I find someone in this case, Jack, uh, which, uh, with which I have a little discussion around some uh, recent security news and hopefully get something interesting out of it. So this time I have the pleasure uh, to have to get today with me, uh, Jack uh, Reisider. Is that the correct way to, to pronounce that? Jack Reisider, thank you. Reisider, sorry for that. Um, which... Probably you know already, of course, but uh, is behind a very, very great project. Uh, or do you call it pod podcast or just podcast? Yeah. Okay. Uh, called Darknet Diaries. That I think that you can, you know, summarize definitely better than me, Jack. If you will like. Yeah, I uh, I create a podcast called Darknet Diaries, which goes into um, stories about cybercrime, and I like to do it in a in a like a a head-to-toe kind of format, right? So what's the beginning of this? What's the middle of this? What's the end of this, right? A lot of breaking news, uh, news that comes out today, we don't know how it ends. It just kind of <laughs> uh, comes out and then you're like, oh, well, wh what's going to happen next, right? And you don't know. So there's more questions yeah. than answers with breaking news. But I like to wait until the news is settled down for a few years. And then I think that story is worth telling because now the people have been arrested, gone to prison, come out of prison, have their story to tell, all this kind of stuff, and we we have all the answers. So that's the that's the kind of story I I I like to cover. Yeah, and I think that's that's really better in general, just because you know you have the time to to uh, deep dive in what really happened and uh, really uh, deliver the the real story behind it, right? Because most of the time, unfortunately. Most of the news out there are just trying to give the news for, you know, uh, first and not really uh, investing in, a, in good, good information just, you know, to give it first. Uh, but what you are doing, I think it's, it's totally on, a, on another level. Maybe it's just my personal opinion, of course, that uh, it's, it's what it is. But I think that that's nothing out there like what you are doing. So. First of all, very thank you very much for what you are doing because <clears throat> I think it's really helpful. I think it's very cool, actually. And uh, I think it helps. It helps a lot. Like, also just uh, making people, um, you know, start to be really interested in, one, in what's behind the scenes, right? Yeah, I think a lot of people have caught some interest in it. Um, I get a lot of, you know, emails and stuff where they're in, they, they, they liked computers maybe growing up but then went to get a job in an office somewhere doing something or as a painter or something. And then they listen to the show and they're like, oh my gosh, there's so much to do in the land of cybersecurity. And I was so interested and passionate about that when I was younger. I need to get back into this. This is such an exciting place to be. And uh, yeah, it's really fun to watch people get inspired by the show and then change careers or get into it more or whatever. I think that that's the most, you know, important part of, of it like it's just like a topic that i'm really uh into like uh we constantly say in this industry that we have a gap right in uh, workforce and we need more people 
And what I think is that we need to inspire people. We need to um, drive people to be interested in this and to start, you know, studying and uh, getting to know stuff. And, uh, you know, again, what we are doing, I think is the perfect example, right? Not just, you know, uh, um, teaching something. Maybe I think you are also teaching something, but the point is that you're not just teaching technical stuff. You are really teaching a story and uh, describing what's the real, you know, scenario, right? What are all the, uh, you know, uh, consequences and, uh, uh, you know, really behind the scenes or, or under hood, the hood, if you if you like. Yeah, I think I think deep down that is my goal is to teach people things, but then to kind of hide that boring lesson in the exciting story. So I don't want to just like teach you, here's <laughs> here's how to secure your GitHub account, but like. Let me tell you the story about that one time somebody didn't do it and it created a big problem with the whole company and it cost them millions of dollars. And that is more, much more exciting than here's how to do this, right? And now, you're, now you walk out of that story like, dude, there, it's so important to secure your GitHub account and, and you don't realize it until you hear why. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in the meanwhile, I see, you know, uh, First people joining, Hyde Zambroid, by the way, if you don't know, was uh, one of the first guests in this, uh, in this uh, podcast and hopefully will be again in the future. So Hyde Zambroid and see you uh, next time. Um, so just a little you know, summary before we go into the actual news we selected for this week. Uh, again, if this is the first time you watch this, uh, we are live on Twitch, right? Uh, we are trying to have an episode like this uh, every every week or so. Um, and uh, we are going to record this and later upload this uh, on uh, YouTube as well. So if you're not, you know, uh, available tonight or, uh, you know, this afternoon, depending on where you are, and uh, you still want to, to, uh, to watch the discussion together with Jack, uh, maybe you can't really uh, participate together with us but still, you can rewatch this on uh, on YouTube, or uh, if you if you prefer on Spotify or whatever uh, podcast platform you prefer. So see other comments there. Uh, oh, this is definitely for you, and like all of the other <laughs> comments that I think uh, are going to you. happen today. <laughs> so great, and I think that too. By the way, <laughs> cool. That's great. So. I see, yeah, we, we're starting to have some people. So I think this is the perfect time to uh, get into it, right? So what I'm doing is not maybe, you know, as uh, deep as, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, probably useful as what Jack is doing, but uh, we selected a bunch of news from the last week. So pretty recent, uh, not the very uh, last minute or so. And uh, we're just going to drop one by one some of them uh, I'm going to train to introduce them and then we just, you know, have a chit chat on it because I think that's, uh, that's the, you know, the spirit of the podcast, just have a really, uh, you know, chill chat on it and see where, where, where we can go. So I'm going to share my screen with the first news. Okay. So hopefully everyone can see this. And as I said, just a few words to introduce this. So the first news, hopefully, um, you know, um, it's, it's kind of 
something that uh, is on, uh, um, you know, your kind of stories, Jack, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, we had this uh, Genesis Market, right, which was basically um, a store, uh, well, not only on the darknet, even on the, on the clear, uh, clear web, but it was actually um, seized recently. So um, it's, right now it's just available on the darknet. Uh, which was and is selling a lot of stolen credentials of any kind, right? Credentials, API keys, and and whatsoever. It's pretty famous for for this kind of job, and it's also especially famous for um, a JavaScript script, uh, which is um, um, basically profiling the um, uh, the victim the victim's clients, so that uh, whenever they sell. Uh, the credentials, uh, the attackers can completely, you know, um, disguise as the, um, uh, you know, the victim, right? They, they don't, don't only will have uh, the right credentials, they will also show as the right device or from the right uh, originating IP and uh, with the user, user agent and so on and so forth. Yeah, that device fingerprinting was was kind of a surprise to me. I did not know Genesis Market was selling that level of... Uh... I don't know, credential. And, you know, if you have somebody's uh, cookie or, or authentication token, that's just as well as having the whole, um, the whole username and password thing. I mean, there's a lot of times you can just take over a session because you have that person's cookie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I, I didn't know that was even a market for that sort of thing. I knew people are, are using that to get into places, but it, it was kind of surprising to me to see that this is actually being traded and sold. And it, yeah, I, and I'm not sure the level of how it is, right? If it's just random users, like here's 1,000 users from this site, and here you go, you can log into different sites using their um, fingerprint. Um, that's what they're calling it here. Um, or if well, it's like, no, I, I, we have a specific user you can log in as that person, like you know, a celebrity or something. I don't know. I think... The last thing you said is the case because you, I'm just quoting here on the on the article. Hopefully, it's um, you know uh, it's readable for everyone. Basically, they were selling each account like private accounts for seventy cents, or um, you know through uh, hundreds of dollars for something like online online banking services. So I think they were specific about you know this pair of credentials. Not just selling uh, a lot, you mm-hmm. know, a bunch of uh, uh, stuff. It's, it's interesting. Spotify's really on the list there because you could take like mm-hmm. thousands of um, Spotify users, log in as them, and then listen to your, you know, music, and you can be monetized for that. Um, so that's Whoa. a. <laughs> I was not really thinking about. Well, that, I, I wouldn't but... imagine you're making more than seven cents, though. That's interesting that they're like, okay, for seventy, well, seventy cents. You got to buy one account, and then you're only going to get one cent worth of Spotify streams. So you really need like <laughs> seven, uh, seven or more Spotify play, uh, you know, albums before it really works. I guess. Yeah, I mean, Spotify is just an example. I will say probably the same with any other uh, similar platform. I don't know, like even YouTube is doing, uh, uh, or, or or even Twitch, right, is doing monetization, and depending on how many accounts you can put you know, listening or watching to you, um, you can make some money. I'm not sure uh, what's the value 
of each single account in this case, mm -hmm. but it's definitely an interesting scenario. Yeah, and, and see, it's just this paragraph here that gives me like 20 more questions and we even have time. We're not even at the news part of this story yet. This is just like, you know, <laughs> yeah. background for what Genesis Market even is. And already I'm like, wait a minute, how are they getting Spotify fingerprints? How, are they, how do they know what this user, uh, you know, the, the user agent is and the IP addresses of the users logging into Spotify? It's just such a crazy idea that somebody has this data. Maybe, yeah. maybe and there's, so maybe there's, I remember there's this time where I've seen a website that kind of tried to identify all the things you're logged into right now. Are you logged into Facebook? Are you logged into Twitter? Are you logged into Spotify? Yes. Okay. Cause you have that authentication token somewhere in your browser. And then it's like, okay, well now I know this is your user agent. I don't need to know your password. I just know this is your, this is your, what you look like to Spotify. And so maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's how it went. Well, that, that could be the case. And I'm also thinking another thing, which we mentioned multiple times in uh, previous episodes. The point is that this is what it is uh, you know, uh, uh, declared on the, on the store, right? Which is something that basically uh, you know, a criminal uh, wrote down. Like I'm thinking, should we just trust whatever they say just because you know, they, read, they write that yeah. in, uh, in there? Or, you know, they just put a bunch of, uh, you know, social, uh, uh, social networks and, uh, um, you know, important kind of accounts just so you are interested in buying. Right? Yeah, I know this market has a reputation system as well where you yeah. can see like, yeah, I did buy this and this was authenticated, or, you know, authentic data that I bought from them. So you do see that from the sellers. Absolutely. And. Reputation, I think that's the, the actual point about the, the news itself, right? Because, so this, is, this was just the, um, the preamble. The point about the market is that it was actually sold apparently to someone else, right? So we are talking about, um, you know, a very spoofy and definitely illegal thing, but that is uh, sponsored like a proper store, right? We, with, with customers that are buying and they are doing, you know, marketing, basically advertising and everything. And right now the news is talking about, you know, one of the admins basically of the market uh, that is called Genesis Store here, or at least that, that's the account name, which uh, declared on, uh, you know, um, uh, last day of June, uh, you know, we're going to sell the store to someone else. Okay, so someone else is basically buying all of the, business because that's what it is if you ask me uh with uh, you know um the story itself the database with all of the stolen credentials that they are selling and even their software right even that uh profiling script that uh made them so um so famous hmm. and now i really want your opinion on this jack because i'm really interested in it uh, i'm always stressing out about this stuff that we on the bright side, let's say, work right to to go against these uh, these people right here, and at the same time, they are doing business. They are doing business at the in the same way the legit businesses are basically, um, uh, you know, doing their stuff. So, okay, of course, you know, they are doing pretty much illegal stuff, but it's so much evolved from, I don't know, the last uh, 10 years or so 
or even 20 years. Then now it's really so much organized. There are so many different actors involved. There is selling of businesses, like, like when you, saw, you sell like a startup or something, right? This really, you know, drives me crazy. I don't know what you think about it. Yeah. I mean, so the thing you said earlier was that um, part of this site was seized or another similar site to this was seized by, <laughs> sounds like law enforcement. And yeah. it's funny how, whoa, uh, you know, like the owner of the site, you know, was probably feeling that heat of like, oh, we're getting seized. This is a great time to sell this site and get out of town. <laughs> and then whoever's coming in has got to be absolutely crazy to be like, oh, you're being chased by the FBI or whatever. I'll buy it from you. <laughs> and so maybe it's not even that. Maybe the FBI has bought it from them and just to kind of get more information out of them, but isn't going to pay for it or something. It's, there's a whole bunch of unknowns here. And it's going to be interesting to see if we do figure out any of what happened here. If it, who, who would buy such a crazy thing? Kim.com or something Absolutely. like that. <laughs> Actually, this is another very interesting like aspect. Uh, we, we know from you know, um, similar previous news Right, that of course, um, no law enforcement are also trying to uh, completely take control of uh, you know uh, forums on the darknet or even stores like this, so that you know uh, they keep it running, so they can track the the the, the customers, right? So the people who are also um, clients that who are buying the credential then maybe are reusing the malware and so on and so forth. So it can definitely be possible that. You know, it's actually like the FBI or someone else behind this. And uh, like, can be possible, but now I'm asking myself, why should they even say it? Why should they even say that someone else is taking control? Yeah, that's this? a good question, too. Like, you could just say that to, you know, throw throw the feds off your trail and say, oh, we, we've sold it. And now we're leaving when really they didn't. They just kept it. And now... I don't know. I mean, that could be a false flag just all by itself for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, probably we will never know. Or maybe, Jack, you will find this, you know, in <laughs> six months or next year and will yeah. tell us the, the real story behind it. I'll keep but an eye on it. Yeah, definitely do that. And, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, um, I'll wait for, for any uh, work that you will do on this. But it's really interesting what, you know, what are the different possibilities that could be uh, behind this? Uh, like the normal one, like if we have just to trust uh, the, the guy from, uh, from the store, it's basically that someone was, uh, you know, uh, proposing uh, like a, a, an amount of money that is definitely higher than the normal business, right, that they are doing. Or maybe they're, as you said, they're just scared because the the law enforcements are uh, are behind them, mm -hmm. and they want to you know uh, get away of it. I'm not sure that's enough, because still you know uh, if someone is tracking you, uh, you really have to disappear from uh, the net completely, which is not always the case or maybe never the case. Um, and we. You know, we, we also mentioned in, uh, in previous episodes that uh, there are multiple ways um, like law enforcement can track these people, even if they do a very tiny error in uh, posting something on another social with the same handle 
or something like that, or maybe just mentioning something that uh, only someone behind this can know about, right? Um, so that could be another um, another scenario, probably. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but yeah. Now I'm actually reading that, yeah, law enforcement actually seized a few months ago just some uh, domains, right? So mm -hmm. basically the DNS names that were, uh, uh, you know, used to uh, publish the, the, the store on the, clear, on the clear web, right? So that doesn't mean that automatically that the, they also had any control on the infrastructure, right? It could be, but doesn't say that. Mm, and it yeah. appears that I would stay away running. from this site either as a as an admin, as a buyer, <laughs> as a seller. Um, <laughs> it, like it just it just seems like okay, I'm gonna find somewhere else to get my device fingerprinting from. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, I think the if you are a client, if you're a customer, the problem is that uh, you know there is no much competition for this stuff. Of course, there is some, right? But usually a website like this be become very famous because they're good at it, right? And it's not that easy that you can find someone else doing the same stuff or selling the same quality, let's say, uh, because you can sell credentials, but they, they have to be, uh, you know, they have to work. Otherwise, you are buying nothing. Um, so I'm not sure how, how much competition this store actually had so that the clients can just go uh, to someone else. Uh, but maybe maybe it's true that <laughs> it's good for them if they uh, look for something else. Um, so what else is in there? Let me see. So yeah, there's all of you know different kind of uh, credentials. So device fingerprints, as we mentioned before, uh, they were profiling um, cookies, IP addresses, time zones, device device info. And maybe we didn't mention this before, but all of this is very important whenever you want to disguise as someone else, because uh, you know there are detection mechanisms out there that are tracking not only the credentials, but from where you are authenticating or which device you are using to authenticate. And if that's not something that the uh, infrastructure have seen before, right? They can trigger alerts. They can prevent you uh, to, to authenticate, right? And uh, these are, you know, um, recent um, defensive mechanisms that are pretty uh, pretty common. And the fact that they were or they are still able to completely profile a device like this, it's very very interesting. So um, cookies as well. That's the software itself. That I think it's probably the most valuable thing they are selling to uh, to be able to profile the um, the devices and then yeah credentials personas so they I think they were actually you know uh, not only profiling but also creating a database of all of the people and the related uh, IPs devices and so on and so forth um, so I see a comment here just show so Zambroid is saying it happened in the past that people selling those business came back with new similar businesses somewhere else mm. would it be possible 
It's a good point. Yeah, there's a you 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 redefine yourself. You you make it look like you're closing the door here, and then you come back again. I, I mean, the thing is, is that are you going to know that's the same person coming back, right? Hey, it's me, Al from Genesis Market. I'm back with <laughs> Exodus Market. You know, like like, are you sure you're really the same guy? <laughs> like, so you kind of have to take your name with you if you're going to be reinventing something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially if you want to to get the same uh, customers you had before. Right. Otherwise, yeah, and you're this just is the, going to lose them. This is the double-edged sword of all, you know, criminal activity on on the dark net. Is you want to establish a name for yourself so that people trust you and know who you are. But at the same time, as soon as you become known, <laughs> you become known to the feds, and now they're trying to hunt you. So you kind of have to play right. this game of, I want to be underground and not mainstream all the time on the dark net. So that nobody knows who I am, but they, but the people who do know who I am know who I am. Like it's so strange. <laughs> well, definitely, it's not the, I would say the the best way to live your life, right? Always under these guys, always trying to uh, hide. Let's say at least from certain people. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's. I think it's just. Um, you make so much money out of it that they they just. Um, don't think about it probably most of the time. Or, you know, they have other kind of uh, drivers, which could be possible as well. Uh, we're against the system or something. So it will also be interesting to see, you know, what kind of motivation is behind why you as a cyber criminal start to do something like this. I'm sure that there will be so many different, you know, uh, uh, kind of stories, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe you also covered something uh, already about that. All right, what's the next story we got here? Yep, I think that's uh, that's perfect to just go to the next story. Um, so just just a few seconds before we move, I would just want to uh, to remind uh, remind everyone that. Uh, so again, if this is the first time you watch us, uh, you we are live on Twitch. Uh, this episode will be re-uploaded on YouTube and Spotify later. And if, uh, again, if you're not hit that, you know, follow button, please do that if you want to support the, the podcast and maybe convince someday Jack to, to return. <laughs> Otherwise, I think uh, we're going to lose him very, very soon. <laughs> anyway, uh, next news here. So, uh, of course, slightly different. And this is something that we didn't cover so far. Um, we're talking about um, so uh, containers, basically container technology. Uh, a research from a, a German university uh, published a paper, basically where they analyzed a, a very high number, actually, of public containers. Where's the actual number? Uh, yeah, more than three hundred thousand image uh, of containers that were public in um, uh, Docker Hub and similar platforms. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, containers are, um, let's say, a kind of virtualization technology that is kind uh, is trying to virtualize the operating system of a machine. So you can, um, as a developer, you can provide just uh, all of the individual um, 
uh, you know, elements of the application you want to, um, you want to develop uh, in a very quick and easy way, right? So it's a very, um, uh, I would say, um, handy way to handle software, right? And something like Docker Hub is basically uh, the, um, the, uh, the, the GitHub alternative for containers, right? So anyone can create an account and publish its own uh, software inside containers and make it public. So anyone can uh, download it, uh, modify it, or reuse it, uh, depending on the, on the type of application. The point is that similarly to, let's say, normal software that is uploaded on GitHub as well, most of the time, or just very often, uh, developers are not caring too much about you know, the security of those containers. Uh, apparently, actually not apparently, definitely, you know, uh, even if you are putting code in a container, that doesn't mean automatically that that's secure, right? So you still have to care about any hard-coded credentials, any secrets that you are putting there, any sensitive data, right, that you are plotting together with the, with the container. And the research here just, uh, you know, um, uh, make it clear that close to, uh, I would say, 10% of the analyzed dockers were actually containing uh, working credentials or API keys or you know, whatever uh, that can be reused to just authenticate to a cloud service or anything uh, that is needed for the application. Again, yeah, we've seen we've very, seen a lot of big. this kind of attack before, where we've got like Google dorking, where people just search for yeah. passwords right on the internet, um, and then when we saw GitHub, um, people putting their code up on the internet in GitHub. There's a lot of hard coded credentials. Same with AWS containers, and so this is a very similar style of let's go look for passwords in Docker Hub. And and I haven't thought of this myself, but I'm but I'm absolutely not surprised that this is. A problem since it's a problem in those other places, it should be a problem here as well. And um, it's it's kind of fascinating that you know if 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 this person wasn't a researcher, right? If they didn't call themselves mm -hmm. that particular word, and they're just a normal person, hey, I'm just I'm just a guy just looking around on the internet. And well, what are you doing in my Docker image? Oh, I was just looking <laughs> to see if you had any passwords. Get out of there, man. Why are you looking in my Docker? Like, it just, you you sound like a jerk. But no, no, I'm a researcher. I, I'm a student at a university. I'm doing this for research purposes. Oh, well, then come on in. We want to see what you find. It's it's a, it's interesting how the motive is really the, the playing factor here in this whole story to me. Because if you're like, oh, no, I work for a, for an Eastern European cyber gang, <laughs> and, and I'm going to do this uh, quote-unquote research, and I found 18,000 credentials. Oh, this is great. Oh, yeah. It's, it's all, but it all comes down to your intention and your motive of what you're doing in there. Absolutely. You know, um, I think this is, of course, a personal opinion, but you know, it's. I think this is related to even terminology, right? There are a lot of ethical right hackers out there so just if you call yourself you know ethical in some way apparently you are um, free to do anything you can publish i don't know uh proof of concepts for um vulnerability exploits on github mm -hmm. but you are a researcher you are an ethical hacker so that's fine if uh 
you know, an attacker does that, that's definitely seen on another, in another way, right? It's yeah. someone spreading malicious code, not proof of concept, right? So the way you call it change the perception of it, mm-hmm. or at least for most people, which is really interesting. Yeah, it's got to be interesting for whoever, you know, this this person's professor is too. Like, hey, professor, I'd like to do this project. Well, hold on a second. This might get sticky, uh, but so be careful with these parameters, right? And then they come back and they say, okay, professor, this is what I found. A lot of passwords. I have them in my computer here. Here, you can take a look. No, I don't want to see those passwords. Why? Why? Okay, all right, let's just, you know, give you an A and close the book. No, I want to publish it to bleeping computer. I want to tell them how, <laughs> how I did this. No, don't put my name in there. Okay. <laughs> like it, there's, um, there's got to be some, some tough questions that that professor had to answer of like, oh, yeah, go forward. Publish this to the world. Put all the passwords in there. Or like, what, where's the line of like, how much do you disclose? Which, which Docker images had it in it? Which passwords were in there? Like, it, it is interesting on... Like, where is the sensitivity here? Like, like right now, this is just a, a beacon for anyone who wants to, you know, cause cause chaos. Oh, wow. Look, I'll just go in there. It sounds like fertile ground. Go in there and I'll steal a whole bunch of passwords. And it's because this student told him about it. But it's at the same time that uh, hopefully the, the bright side is saying, oh, man, I, I think my stuff is up on there. I need to go in and, and clean it up. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping more good comes out of this than bad, but it may not. I don't know if we will ever, ever know, but yeah, some good can definitely came out of it, right? The fact that I really hope that, that this will spread some awareness. So maybe someone is just thinking that, oh, well, I'm using container, so I, I'm okay on the security uh, uh, aspect. Well, mm-hmm. no, that's not the case. That's not even the, the goal of it. And still, mm-hmm. you still have to care about your code. You still have to care about what you are publishing online. Uh, and since you mentioned that, uh, there's the very last uh, you know, uh, quote in the, in the article that says, since you know, the researchers have uh, some ethical limitations, they didn't reuse the credentials. They didn't test the credentials against mm-hmm. the, the actual services. Well, Thank you very much. <laughs> so that's the very, very bare minimum, I, I will say. Um, you know, uh, th- that's the very last thing that they, they didn't do. And thankfully, I will say. Yeah, um, well, I, I hope Docker Hub sees this and and has mm-hmm. like a brainstorm session on how do we prevent this? This is, uh, what did it say? 10% yeah. of all Docker Hub images have... Yeah. exposed credentials 9.5 or something like that yeah that's a that's a high percent and so is docker hub um on the hook for any of this like could they be scanning what's the tool this person used to scan could they just yeah. put that in automatically to scan people's stuff uh autom- you know before it's published uploaded? right yeah. yeah hey by the way you know you left your secrets in here um, we're not going to publish this till you get them out or you sign this <laughs> agreement that it's okay. <laughs> like they could put something in there. If this person can scan 300,000 images or what was it? What a data set of, yeah, yeah 300,000 yeah, Docker three, images. Yeah, here it so is. So if this person can do it, why can't Docker Hub do it, you know? And if Docker Hub can do it, then why can't it just be put into Docker Hub CLI? 
um, to do it even before it gets to Docker Hub, right? Like, like let's let's use this knowledge to squash it completely. Hmm. Yeah. And whose responsibility would that be? I mean, it's clearly we're clearly not doing good as Docker uh, hosts <laughs> out there. Um, so it should be the technology creator say, hey, wait, wait, hold on, we've got a problem in our in our system here. Docker keeps exposing stuff. We got to fix that. <laughs> okay. Well, the responsibility is a very you know uh, tough topic, I would say, which very frequently um, came out on, uh, on on this podcast. You're saying that maybe you know Docker Hub as the service provider should be responsible, right? So I'm letting you publish something on my platform. I should be responsible also to control that you are not publishing some weird stuff. Right? Not fully responsible, or... but partially responsible, right? Yeah. It's kind of like securing the road. The car maker has to be safe. The roads have to be safe. The drivers have to be safe. There has to be police right. out there. Like all that comes together to make the roads safe. Um, and so can Docker Hub do more? And are they and then choosing not to? Or, or do they know they can do more and then choose not to? Are they being negligent in any way? Because they're like, yeah, that's yeah. we're libertarian here. You could do whatever you want. You want to publish all your passwords? That's that's our policy. We we let you choose it. We don't care what kind of harmful, hateful, or damaging or private stuff you're exposing. Go for it. There's got to be something that they've got to think about morally over there. Of like, what are we what are we hosting? Are we cool hosting it? Are we putting people at risk? And there's got to be some sort of privacy and security team that's thinking about this sort of stuff. Yeah, I think so. Well. This, you know, if you just look at this article, this is definitely, uh, let's say, putting up maybe not really good reputation on Docker Hub in general. So I think there will be at least some some response to this, right? At least to, again, show that the company is doing something about it. Maybe they cannot, maybe I'm sure that, you know, they cannot prevent it completely, right? But they can surely do something about it. Uh, they can improve the, uh, awareness of the people just showing an alert whenever you uh, want to, um, you know, commit something, right, or publish something, or you can actually proactively scan the, uh, the the container itself, and if there's something that you think it's a, you know, sensitive data or credential or something, you know, block the the upload and say, oh, wait, you know, there's something in here, double check it, right, and just when you're sure that this is fine for you. You will take full responsibility, you know, signing here uh, that that it, it is okay to publish that. Mm -hmm. I think they can definitely do something like that. I know that GitHub, right, recent, like in the last years, has done a lot of, you know, uh, new features regarding this sort of stuff. You know, uh, assisting the developer, mm -hmm. even in the with the security uh, side of it. Yeah, there's some so, cool yeah. integrations into GitHub where you can do like unit testing and verification of code so that things, you know, look good. I'm not I, I, I'm not sure all the details there, but then you, you see these little check marks at the top of certain GitHub projects where it's like this has passed here and it's passed here and it's passed here. And that kind of gives you the sense of, OK, somebody's programming this effectively. Um, and, and it would be nice to see maybe a plug in like that where, yeah, it passed that that's <laughs> credential free. You know, there's just a little <laughs> add-on that you can put into your thing if you want it. But again, I don't think users are going to grab it unless they're like they care or they're smart enough or whatever. And I, and I bet there's a high number of these that are just like test 
um, systems where it's like, yeah, there's a test database. It's a, it's a, a dev database. It's not really, you know, official information, but you know, if there's thousands of these, even 1% of them being production is hundreds yeah. of them now. Well, I think it's specified somewhere. I cannot find it, like the info right now, but they did something to double check that those credentials they found uh, were actually you know, um, active credentials, first of all, and that could, uh, um, could not be um, associated with test accounts and something like that. So that percentage, like the 9.5%, it seems to be very you know, uh, usable and active accounts for production stuff, which is very, very high, right? Uh, so there were more than the more, more than those, you know, uh, uh, 9.5%, but that is the very, you know, juicy stuff. That's yeah. the, uh, you know, the brown stuff that should not be there. And I just wanted to show once again, a comment from Zambroid saying, this is our revenge from a legacy sysadmin who yeah. hates containers. <laughs> and, and I understand that as a former sysadmin, containers were something that, you know, blown my mind completely i was more into just the you know old virtual machines and i was saying what was this stuff what do you want me to do what should i configure i don't know yeah <laughs> it takes a while to wrap your head around this sort of thing and if you don't get it and then you see people who also don't get it and they're publishing their keys <laughs> like hey <what>? listen <laughs> i don't get it as much as you don't get it but you're not doing it right <laughs> but this is wrong right yeah. i can tell that this is wrong <laughs> So definitely. Okay, cool. So uh, I don't know if you have any other thoughts about this. No, I'm um, ready for the next one. Definitely. So I just, you know, gonna drop the link on the chat. So if you want to read this yourself, guys, please do that. And if we're missing something, please let us know uh, because we can miss something. Anyone can miss something, but uh, the point is to, you know, Every one of us read a little more, uh, understand a little more so that we can also share uh, between each other and we all get to know more, right? So next um, next story here. And we're still you know, talking about source code. And this time we are also talking about GitHub that we mentioned earlier. Um, and uh, the other you know, um, part of the puzzle is uh, rootkit this time. So there is this uh, pretty famous uh, rootkit called Black Lotus. So again, if you don't know what a rootkit is, very, very, in very simple words, is basically a kind of malware, right? That is affecting uh, a machine even below the operating system. So instead of um, addressing the operating system, like the probably 99% of malware out there, it's, it's trying to... Uh, bypass right the access uh, to the hardware, and you know in that case it can also bypass uh, potentially uh, security measures on the operating system, which are you know the most common uh, kind of uh, security measure you will find on a on a computer or any other uh, connected device. Well, they're calling um, this one a boot kit, not a root kit. Right. Well, it's also mentioned root kit somewhere in the uh, uh, in the article itself. But the, I think the point is that this is trying to bypass, you know, uh, Microsoft security solutions on 
yeah, the, uh, in fact, the, the, the bootloader, right? So yeah. preventing to load a malicious uh, software before running the actual operating system. That should be kind of uh, yeah. The, the case. It's this this affects the BIOS specifically, mm-hmm. uh, and the BIOS um, has been renamed in recent years to UEI UEFI. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. just a it's just a modern form of a BIOS. Yeah, it's basically like the I would say the the firmware right um, of um, you know um, the hardware right. Uh, behind behind the operating system, and this specific malware called Black Lotus, apparently it's working on the very last versions of uh, Windows 11, right? With all of the um, security controls in place, uh, it was um, exploiting a vulnerability that was fixed some point, changed to another you know vulnerability uh, later, and the second one, right? Uh, even if Microsoft actually published um, a fix for it. Uh, it didn't um, automatically apply to all of the Windows clients out there uh, for some reason, and specified that if you want to be, you know, um, solving this, this issue, you as a user have to manually apply the uh, the fix, which is actually a little, you know, complicated. And if you don't do it, you know, right. And correctly, you can actually, you know, mess up with the operating system at all, which, of course, make users do not apply it because I don't want to mess up with my my computer, right? And who yeah, cares I mean, about security? <laughs> yeah, the 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 steps to fix this are are convoluted and confusing because it's a UEFI fix, and that takes. I mean, you're, you're, it, it's almost like open brain surgery, right? You got to get into the heart <laughs> of the machine and do it. it you get, when you're updating that, it's, it's a weird thing because if it does go wrong, it's not in the normal Windows updates. It's a special, okay, we got to do this once every few years kind of updates thing. Um, not every, every, you know, patch Tuesday. Yeah, I would say that the, the average user is never doing something like this. Like I'm thinking about, you know, a consumer, right, at home with his, um, you know, uh, private PC. No one is yeah. going to update the firmware, like in a, in a lifetime. Maybe yeah. in a company, that's. I feel like the only the time case. I've had to update the UEFI firmware is when I got some hardware that it wouldn't work with, right? So mining <laughs> Bitcoin, for example, I had to get some some crazy <laughs> devices in there. And it's like, yeah, your system's not compatible unless you're on this firmware update. Oh my gosh! Okay, so <laughs> you got to get on there. Yeah, but that's that's let's say you add a, a driver for it. Like I want to reach uh, this goal, so I have to update my my firmware for some reason. But again, the average user who is just I don't know surfing the web or using uh, the office package or something on their computer. Why they should even think about, you know, updating the firmware? What's that? I don't want to know what that. I don't want to. Again, if if, if it says uh, this could, you know, break your your computer. Okay, I'm not gonna touch this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I need so it all this work. Is, all this is to say that the Black Lotus affects that part of the computer, and you know, even though it's patched, it seems to be still for sale. 
out there. How much was this going for? Uh, five thousand dollars or something. Yeah, five thousand dollars for this malware. Yeah, which is it's not that high, I, I I think because it's a very you know again works on the very um uh, on the very recent version of Windows, right? So it's something that will work no matter what, and we know that Windows is basically the most common platform out there. Oh well, uh, the other thing I wondered is. Is any antivirus scanning the UEFI subsystem? So there are some controls in place that are specifically bypassed by, by, this, by this malware. Uh, let me find where it's uh, quoted here. Yeah, I um, understand that the Black Lotus was, was saying when this was for sale, yeah, no antivirus will detect this once it's installed. And yeah. I just wonder if any antivirus is even looking in there, if it's possible, because it might be so far down in the firmware. I know from from Windows, you can change the UEFI. You don't have to do it from like pushing F2 or whatever while it's booting up. You yeah. can actually do it from within Windows. So if Windows can see this can data and config, then why can't antivirus see it? And if antivirus can't can see it, why can't they see this particular virus? That's an interesting so one. I'm not like sure 100%, but I think the case is that whenever you use this malware and install it, right, you are, uh, again, bypassing the control for the specific antivirus that is installed on the operating system, right? So basically, you're just preventing uh, to be detected. Now, if you, there are multiple, you know, antiviruses that are running, um, you know, booting from a USB drive or something, right? So not using the operating system at all, just scanning the disk. And I think potentially those can actually find it. But the point is that you as the user have to you know, uh, think, okay, I want to scan my, my disk drive from you know, not even running my operating system just to be sure 100%. And again, who is really doing that? Or you have already some kind of alert that is saying to you, okay, something weird is happening, okay? And maybe you think, okay, let's do something like this. Otherwise, if you have no detection at all from the very beginning, you're not uh, you're not going to, to run anything like that. Does it make sense? Right? Yeah. I'm not sure. So the, I think the problem here is on, you know, the detection side. Uh, if you proactively search for it, you can probably do it. But making the operating system automatically say, oh, there's something weird here, but I cannot do anything about it. You have to do it um, because this is preventing the operating system to do anything. Uh, again, the user have to have the skills and to, uh, to have the knowledge um, to, to do that, right? Uh, to insert a USB drive or install the USB drive with the um, antivirus software and so on and so forth. So, so now the point about this software, right? Because this was not actually the subject of the story. The subject of the story is that the source code for this malware that is around from, uh, from some time, uh, it was now published on GitHub, right? So the source code is now open source right there. It's not complete, no. Um, uh, it's, it's specified that it's missing some parts of the original malware, but the bootkit, the bootkit part of it, so the, the thing that is bypassing 
operating system controls is there and can be basically uh, be reused by by anyone else. You don't have even to pay those uh, $5,000 now. It's there. Just download it and reuse it combined with any other malware or, you know, uh, for research reason, <laughs> even if you want, um, or even other criminals can, can start to reuse this. So we're going to see these used more and more from now on. That's the even worse part of this story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing I, I like to do on my show is to figure out it's not so much this proof of concept of, okay, here's this thing that affects the bootloader on your machine, but mm -hmm. show me a story where someone did this in the wild and it made a big impact. And I'm curious this, that scenario, how does some, how, why would somebody use this? Who's used this? What, what group has done this? What have they done from this? Um, because that, I think that's a missing part I have. Uh, but, yeah, that's a. Uh, I'm curious what stories are involved with this. Yeah, and not only that, like you mentioned, who is going to reuse this, right? And what kind of impact uh, they will have. But what about who actually published this, and why? Uh, why they did it? Like that's that's another question that I have on my mind because technically, uh, you know you make money if you just sell it, right? And this is one of the, I will say, uh, high-end malwares out there that anyone wants, you know, anyone on the, on the criminal, um, uh, you know, side will pay for it, right? And maybe even someone from the, uh, you know, uh, research side to, you know, dissect the malware, to analyze the malware could technically buy it. So why would you actually make it public? This for me is pretty interesting. There should be a reason behind it, right? There should yeah. be a motive. I don't know. I think so. Um, now, the the full boot kit was not published. It was just parts of it. Yeah. So it, it that that also adds, adds some mystery to it. Of like, why wasn't it the full thing? Why is it only some of it? Um, does it mean that the, whoever was the author didn't have it or the author sold it to someone and then they only were able to publish the part they had? Um, it could also be, so I mean, one theory is like, um, you know, one of the customers of this bought it and didn't like doing business with this person. Or maybe there's a rival mm -hmm. malware gang out there that's doing, you know, White Lotus val malware. <laughs> and they're like, well, let, if we publish Black Lotus, we can then get more people to buy White Lotus because... Um, this thing's burned. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's an interesting, you know, way of looking at this. And it could be the case, right? Maybe they, again, a rival gang just stole it, and it's publishing it so that you know they can just uh, uh, take the market out of the rivals, right? Definitely, yeah. that that could be the case. I will probably expect it to be specified somewhere. You know, here this shit. And I can do a better malware if you just follow this link for just $100 or something, right? Uh, but, you know, who knows? Maybe tomorrow there will be a new, a new page on the GitHub saying something like that. Yeah. We don't know yet. Yeah, it's interesting um, when stuff like this hits. I remember when um, we had that NSA trove show up. 
and shadow brokers was like oh we've got a whole bunch of nsa exploits and they published right. one of them uh, eternal blue but it was just kind of like some esoteric code of some kind it was difficult to understand what was going on it wasn't until a, a security researcher took that reversed it understood it and then wrote their own version of that malware like here's a proof of concept of how you could use eternal blue uh, a few days after that, that's when North Korea grabbed that proof of concept and then launched WannaCry, right. um, which which hit ransomware across the UK. Um, and so, yeah, does is this going to have something similar where, okay, here's part of a code. Some researcher is going to pick this up and say, okay, well, we've we've understood Black Lotus. Here's the proof of concept on how to use it. And then... <laughs> North Korea is like, thank you very much. We're going to go <laughs> ransomware half the country. Yeah, like, like that's perfect. Thank you. Uh, the point is that there, it's, you know, all of this process, you know, making the malware, selling it, at some point making it uh, even free and public. It's making it very, very easy for anyone, even without any, you know, very high skills to use you know, this kind of sophisticated and very high-end uh, effective malware. You know, mm -hmm. and we, we've seen that even with, uh, you know, anything as a service. You know, you have DDoS as a service, you have ransomware as a service. Anything that technically uh, it's preparing all of the software, all of the, all of the processes, all of the attack on your behalf. You just have to pay for it or you maybe just have to uh, do a little part of the, you know, uh, of the kill chain. Maybe you just have to deliver the malware, but the malware mm -hmm. was written by someone else, right? And maybe that malware was actually done first by a researcher, then just maybe uh, tiny modified by someone else. But, you know, it's involving so many actors out there for all of those um, kind of attacks. I wonder who was the one developing the, this Black Lotus malware probably is not really involved anymore in this stuff, right? Mm. Uh, you don't know how many hands uh, were touching this. Yeah, you know, what's also interesting, I believe that in the GitHub repo is that the first, um, the first half of the description is all in Russian. All right. Begins out yeah. in Russian. Um, the I know that there's a lot of penetration testers that love these kind of articles because when they go on, you know, into a new, you know, if they're having a new engagement this week and they're having trouble getting into someone's computer or into some system, they're going to find something that's fresh that just hit the, sh just hit the streets and then try to figure out a way to use this exploit on their, um, you know, a mission that they're doing right now. Right. And, and some of that stuff they like to be really cutting edge with just because they're like, Hey, it's out in the open. It's not like I, you know, did some zero day on you. It was, it was published and it's there. And I love those kind of penetration testers where they're just so, so tuned in to the latest threats. It's, it's amazing to see them put this stuff into action. And hopefully, you know, in case they do it, uh, you know, they are, uh, let's say in the scope of their engagement. I, I really yeah. like always think about, you know, people who engage penetration testers and do not really give them any, any scope. So if you don't know what we are talking about, basically a penetration tester 
simulate an attack, right? And try to test your systems to, to understand how secure they are. But you also give them a scope for the engagement, meaning that you're telling, okay, you are uh, permitted officially to test this system, but only in this way and only using, I don't know, this list of stuff, but not something else. So it really depends on the scope, what the penetration testing can do. And you know, I wonder if there's a, uh, you know, a, there's a, a row saying, okay, you can download stuff from GitHub that was published uh, just yesterday mm-hmm. and randomly run on our system. Because yeah. again, are you, con- are you checking that, that software? Does it do anything else that you are not really interested in, right? Um, that's a, that yeah. That's always a really um, fascinating uh, line that I always wonder too. Of like, okay, if you're going to come put malware in our network and try to attack mm-hmm. us, where are you getting this malware from? Is this is this got its own rootkit in it? Are you, are you are you did you look at the source code? Is it something that's going to give China complete access to our data center? <laughs> right. And like, did you just download this off of download this off of the darknet? Like, where are you getting this? And so, yeah, if you're if you're grabbing this code and trying to put it in place, oof, um, be careful. Like, I don't understand who who's allowing this and who isn't. And when you have like bug bounties, that's like, okay, go ahead, try to attack our system, see if it's vulnerable. They're not saying things like that. They're not saying like, okay, only do stuff that's in, you know, Metasploit. Do not do anything that's just like <laughs> some off some Russian forum. Uh, and yeah, it's a uh, it's a weird. It's a weird mix out there where that line is. Absolutely. That's even worse probably, right? Because you are opening your system to anyone interested in, in testing it. And uh, you have to be very strict, I think, about about the scope if you specify it at all. Right? That's the case of uh, maybe the uh, security.txt file, right? Technically, by best practices, you should... Um, uh, put this file, this text file on your system saying, okay, you can do some tests on my systems, but you can do tests, just this kind of stuff, right? Or you can target again, just this list of domains, this list of uh, applications and so on and so forth. But not everyone does that. Actually, I think that still today, uh, very few organizations do that, right? So um, you're basically opening uh, your system to anyone out there using anything yeah yeah this i think is um yeah it's 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 a wild it's a wild world out there (laughs) definitely it's tough i remember one time i was troubleshooting a firewall and uh, i had i had a tough time like figuring out what the uh what the commands are to like get this problem fixed or whatever and i found some polish website was not even in english and I was like copying and pasting commands from that website into my production r- firewall. <laughs> my, my, my coworker's like, where'd you get that script? I was like, oh, it's some, from some Russian dude speaking on a Polish website. Like, what are you, why are you putting this kind of code in here? <laughs> like, well, I don't know well, what the answer is. And yeah, it, is, it, it becomes a weird thing of like, where are you getting this, this code to put into our production environment? It, it is odd. Like I'm wondering, what do you put in uh, in uh, you know in the documentation in that case? Okay, <laughs> download stuff from this Polish site. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then it's, it's blindly weird. apply it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that happens. You, you, 
you're making someone you yeah <laughs> blowing their mind <laughs> <laughs> it happens you know well, you're doing it don't deny yeah, it you, you know you've taken stuff off of get of github you've taken stuff off of um but stock exchange and just being like let's give it a try yolo and it worked <laughs> and you're like okay this code works don't touch it and you didn't examine it you don't know what it does but it works <laughs> yeah been there done that I admit <laughs> it, you know especially you know I would say when you start working, but it happens also, you know, even when you are, when you have a certain seniority and still you are um, too tired to still try to find a new solution or something, you know, it happens. You should, you should not be, you know, do that, of course, but uh, we are humans, right? And that's, that's probably the reason why so many attacks works out there because we are vulnerable by design right yeah okay so the the tip here is to have peer review on all the all the stuff you're doing at work <laughs> right right Run it always by someone have else. a colleague which is yeah looking at your back right what, yeah. what's that stuff remove it right now <laughs> you're fired <laughs> no that's cool so if you're okay i will probably move to the next one what do you think let's go yeah what do we got yeah. Uh, we got a very interesting thing, but please, if you are still watching after, what is it, more than one hour now, now we really deserve that, that follower out there. Okay, please, 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 thank you very much. That's it. Uh, new story. This is, uh, we're, we're, you know, reaching the, the end of the episode, but this is kind of, I think it's pretty simple, right? It's we have another story after the... this still. It's not the last story, though. Not the last one. There's nope. still something, so okay. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, stay, stay. You know, uh, stay with us. Uh, but this, I think this will be quick. It's, it's not. You know, it's easier than the the previous ones. I thought this was interesting because of a very um, detail in in this attack. So uh, the clock at Ursa. Right, this is the name they they assigned to this uh, uh, track doctor. Uh, that is also the same behind the you know more famous solar winds attack. Uh, is running basically a phishing attack against some uh, um, you know diplomats and some embassies, right? And instead of you know usually when you do something like this, you try to disguise as a colleague. You ask for you know, access to some system because you are in a urgency or something. But this time, they actually decided to do something definitely different and also, I will say, a little weird, right? Uh, there was, there is, you know, uh, a specific diplomat who was selling his used car, right? And, uh, uh, you know, uh, have a, a flyer, um, you know, uh, talking about it, okay, I'm selling my car for, for this price, uh, you know, come see it, uh, whatever. And they, you know, the, this group uh, took this flyer, modified it, inserted a malicious link in it, and started sending emails to, uh, to, the, to uh, diplomats and other people working in uh, embassies, right? So in a sort of uh, bulk attack, it's not really targeted to a single person, but it's more targeting an entire let's say organization, right? So, um, you know, Diplomat X is selling his car. Maybe you could be interested in that just because you know him, because you're working with him 
or it's just something that uh, you um, you know uh, you heard about because you are in the, the same organization. I thought this was very uh, unique, <laughs> right? Uh, in uh, in the kind of um, how, how do you call it? Mm. It's a creative Steve. attack, right? You don't think <laughs> of this as how you're doing it, where oh yeah, there was a link to buy a car. I know this guy. And when I click the link, it takes me to malware. And then you're like, wait, are you giving me the malware? No, I didn't even make that flyer. Here's the one I made, and it's one letter different, or whatever the case is. That's that is a very creative attack. And I, and you know, this in, in the military, it's the it's the team that is the more creative one is often the winner. And it's interesting to see how creativity plays such a place in the battlefield, whether it's the digital battlefield or the real battlefield. It's it really comes down to how more how much more creative can we get and it and it is interesting to just watch the the different ideas form here and and it also speaks to how how the lengths of some of these attackers will go to be able to you know track a diplomat to such a degree that they're like oh we see that they're making a flyer to sell their car and we know that they're going to be giving it out to people that are you know close to that person so let's get into that how do we get into that stream of communication? And that's a trusted stream if you can. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's quite the steps. It's quite the, uh, the work to get infiltrated into that level of, of a phishing attack, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I'm, I'm wondering what was the uh, you know, reasoning process, right? Okay, we need to make up a, um, a phishing email. What, what do we put in there? Okay. And they started thinking, oh, maybe we can do this. Maybe we can do this. And at some point, someone is, uh, you know, searching the, the guy on the internet or something and find, uh, finds the, uh, the flyer. Oh, the guy is selling a car. Maybe we can use this. <laughs> like, mm. I, I wonder if this is some, like, random genius uh, intuition, right? Or they really thought, okay, this is the best way to reach our goal. We're going to find if the guy is selling a, a something, right? And just because it's something that you will not expect to be a phishing email, because you, you know, usually they are different. Usually the, the object of the email is uh, totally different. They, they are talking about, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, move this amount of money in, ca in case of the, you know, back business email uh, compromise kind of attack or uh, okay, I need to access this system. Can you do that for me or something? No, now the object is, oh, I'm selling a car. Do you want to see more photos of it? And then you click on the link just to, to see those photos. It's very, very unique. And yeah, definitely creative, which is probably the best way to, uh, to reach certain, certain goals. In this case, I would say. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's probably the same even for penetration tester or red teamers out there, right? When you have a, something like a, a scope where you can do whatever you want, you can physically introduce the, uh, to the buildings or whatever, you really have to be creative. You, I don't know, you disguise as, uh, you know, uh, workers that needs to, to adjust or to, uh, to fix some, uh, some light in the building or something just to uh, access the buildings. Creativity is something that, Maybe it's not really mentioned uh, very often in uh, job descriptions or something, but it's probably 
a very uh, important skill in the, in the in this industry, I would say. What do you think? Yeah, this one, this one, it, it just has so so much finesse and and fine details and this covert. I'm it's it's scary just to think that somebody <laughs> is is going through these lengths to get into the diplomats of Ukraine. Yeah, that like it's clear how uh, how they really want to reach that specific target, right? They are not even you know targeting a single person. Maybe they are. It's it's also specified in the article, right? This is something that uh, the people who, who really received this this email will be willing to even share this internally, right? Maybe they are not interested, but say, but say, oh, there was my colleague who was uh, looking to to buy a car. Maybe I will share this uh, to my colleague, right? And they yeah. are <laughs> basically uh, spreading the the attack even even more internally. This could be one of the reasons why they, they took this kind of uh, uh, of strategy, right? Um, mm-hmm. Something very personal, or the you know the user can fall for it or not, but something very you know generic like, like this, it can spread multiple times, can be shared and reshared so many times inside the company that you probably have a higher uh, chance to actually get to the to the real target at some point, or Maybe you don't have a real target. Maybe, maybe you need some some level of access to the embassy network in general, right? And eventually, you will have one single user. Maybe you will, uh, you know, um, find a way to privilege escalate, right? To basically uh, have a higher level of access to the system, and that's all. You're not really targeting a person, rather than the organization organization itself. Maybe that could be the case. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real interesting one. Yeah, clear. Um, so there's is there. Um, yeah, I think that's that's pretty much it, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I so, think so. So that's okay. We can just go to the very end of the episode with the last story. So bear with us. I think, like I. Uh, if that was not clear uh, yet, the last in any episode, the last story is the one that makes the the title for the episode, right? So uh, this episode's title is uh, "Darknet Unveils ChatGPT Evil Twin," uh, and that's pretty much the story that we're going to to talk about. The thing is that um, you know everyone talks about ChatGPT and about chatbots and artificial intelligence nowadays because pretty much everyone is even using it since chat gpt is uh, public out there and if anyone is using it for any kind of work even the criminals can can use it of course and why not um so there are two different um you know events two different facts that are described in the and the article itself first one is that in some, um, you know, uh, forum on the darknet, uh, there are people writing guidelines, you know, guiding uh, guiding other people to on how to use ChatGPT or similar, right, uh, tools in order to run uh, malicious stuff. So, for an example here of in this screenshot, 
this guy is suggesting, you know, you can use JetGPT to uh, basically create uh, the phishing email body for you. Maybe English is not your, you know, English or whatever language is, near, is not your first language. You can just prompt to ChatGPT, okay, please write me uh, something like this in this language, okay? And they are also suggesting ways to uh, bypass the security controls, right? Because technically, uh, again, ChatGPT in this case has a, a list of security controls that prevent to, um, you know, run illegal activities. And that's the reason why uh, we, uh, we reached the second fact. Um, criminals are actually training and creating their own, their own uh, chatbots, their own uh, artificial, artificial intelligence, basically in the same, um, in the same way uh, ChatGPT was created, right? So they are uh, taking the same under the hood technology that is GPT. Uh, they are training uh, the, the chatbot with, as they say, um, uh, a repository of malwares. So the, the chatbot learns how to write uh, something like that and put no controls at all. So whoever can use it and just ask whatever they want, whatever the goal is. And I think, you know, there's so much to basically discuss on it. I, I don't know, this is very big and I wonder about all of the, uh, like all the things that will change because of tools like this, right? Like what? Well, like I mean, the. Go ahead. What's going to change? What is what's in your mind? So it's not like something that's going to change, but the the point the, the point is that um, you know more and more people will be able to run malicious attacks, okay? We are lowering like the, uh, the, the, the barrier to, to do something malicious, okay? Uh, maybe before you add to write your own code, uh, you, before you add to find your own vulnerabilities, right? And every time there's a new advance in technology in general, of course, you know, more people can do more good things, but at the same time, more people can also do uh, bad things, right? The fact is that you know um, we we will we will actually see the same stuff, but more people will be will be able to do it, right? Yeah, yeah, you make some good points there. So the the first time I ever had Chat GTP GPT on my radar was when I started seeing Twitter flooded with, "Hey, I asked Chat to <laughs> tell me how to exploit this um, this system, right?" And a lot of them were uh, smart contracts on the blockchain where, you know, you could steal hundreds of millions of dollars by finding a vulnerability in a smart contract or some sort of uh, cryptocurrency. And yeah, it was just uh, suddenly one, one day when chat GPT four came out, I believe, or three, um, I was just getting flooded with like, look at this. It's just creating all this malware for me. Or it wasn't, it wasn't creating the malware. It was, you were, you were tricking it to say, Hey, I made this smart contract can you show me where there's any bugs in it? And it's like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll help you with that. Like, if you come in and say, hey, I want to develop some malware for this, I'll be like, no, I can't do that. But if you just tell it, no, 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 I'm actually the one who created this and I just need help debugging it, then it's like, yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of, um, a lot of you know, uses of, of chat to 
to find vulnerabilities right away. Like that was, that was a huge flood just right out the gate of, Hey, let's use it to help us, you know, find bugs. And my thought it was, okay, cool. Now just stick this thing right in your compiler, right in your code, you know, you know, assembly tool or whatever it is, your, your text editor <laughs> and say, Hey chat, keep an eye on me <laughs> as I'm right. typing this out and, and find the bugs in it for me as I'm typing it out and don't let me publish until it's bug free. Like I, I, we should be able to use these tools to our advantage in every way that they're being able to use as weapons as well. And what I'd like to see, you know, if they're using it to craft phishing emails, I'd like to see, you know, the phishing filter or the email filter, you know, whether it's Microsoft 365 or wh whoever your email provider is like say, Hey chat, um, look out for phishing emails. This is how you should look for them. And then they're like, yeah, we've just, by the way, Worm GPT has this whole like uh, training model on how to look, how to, how to format phishing emails. We're going to use their same tool to detect phishing emails and um, look for it. And, and there are, there are algorithms out there that look for things like, okay, is this a lookalike domain? Is it just one letter off from the domain we normally deal business with? Is this a domain that we've only seen that, you know, that was registered two days ago or a month ago? And it's acting as if we're supposed to be, you know, doing business with them. And, and there, there are lots of different indicators that you can look for on the defender side. And I sure hope we're using these tools to our advantage to defend our networks because, yeah, the, um, the attackers and adversaries absolutely are to get that, that edge on, on, their, on their side. You made a lot of good points in there. I'm just trying to, you know, order them in my head. Like the first thing that, uh, you know, I'm thinking about is that, yeah, you know, uh, these chatbots are basically tools, right? They can be used for good or for bad, of course. And that's not all bad. It's not all good. It's the same if, if we think about, I don't know, a computer in general or the internet. They, can, they are used for uh, bad stuff, but also for good stuff. They, in in this sense, you're right in saying that, you know, we are seeing maybe criminals for the first time or just for the first time publicly or just clearly using this for malicious, malicious attacks. But at the same time, I know about, you know, various companies that are starting to release their own, you know, AI products that, you know, still uh, also enable uh, companies and organizations to better defend themselves, right? Um, there are really multiple examples there. And uh, yeah, probably there, sh there will be some balance, right? Like attackers will have AI tools on their uh, toolkit, but we will have also uh, AI on our toolkit. So we will still be balanced in that case. But the point is that every time there is a new technology um, like usable like this, we should be aware that on the other side, someone will exploit it in some way, right? Mm -hmm. And awareness for me is key, right? You know that today is not enough to just look at, okay, is this uh, email written in perfect English? So if, if it's perfect, okay, this is not a, a phishing email. If you look on Google and run like how to identify a phishing email, one of the first thing is that is always, okay, uh, look at the grammar, look if there are any typos, because that's a good indication that maybe who written uh, wrote the, the email. 
uh, was not a native you know, speaker. But with something like this, that's not the case anymore. Right? We need to change our guidelines. We need to change our best practices because we are aware that anyone can really write in a very poor language, write me a phishing email, and the tool will be you know, sending a perfect email that anyone can fault in, right? So we have to look at something else. We need to find mm-hmm. something else to identify those kind of threats. Like that's my, uh, you know, my reason right now. Yeah, I think we're going to see with a, a lot of these AI tools this sort of TikTok of it comes into our lives as a value add. We like it. It's giving us so much better life because of it, right? We get to enjoy the fruits of it in a better way. But then the second shoe drops and it's like, oh, oh, this was a mistake because somebody else is using this to a bad, a bad, for a bad reason. And I think that's going to happen with just so many of the AI tools. You know, you, you get something that's like, well, we can, we, you can create, uh, you know, some, some image of someone else. That's cool. Now we can make our own, um, you know, video or whatever, where we don't even need a camera, but then it's like, well, now we've got deep fakes and now you can use this to, you know, <laughs> exploit someone and say, look, I've got your, you know, nude photos and give me some money or else I'm going to publish it. Like, I don't have any nude photos, but okay. Oh, here you do have a nude photo of me. How the heck did you get that? Like, that's not even me, but it looks like you. And it's like, what do you even do in that situation? I don't know. There's just like this, um, this kind of thing of it. And yeah, with, with a lot of this AI, it, um, you've always got to keep in mind who can use this for negative reasons. And there's going to always be some lunatics out there that are going to try to take over the world in an awful way and unleash, uh, you know, help. Like, I mean, is this a prompt that you can say of like, help me develop um, a plutonium bomb because I want to destroy this city and just do step by step. What are all the ingredients I need? What are all the steps? And chat, does it do it? And can you trick it to do it? And it, I mean, if this thing wants to be so helpful to you, it's it's like a it's like a puppy that just wants your love and attention and, and you to be there for it. And it'll do anything for you. And if you take those guardrails off, what is it capable of doing in the wrong hands? Anything, absolutely anything. And the more sophisticated it gets, when it, once it becomes more intelligent, it, it's like, I could go on and on. It's Are we putting our moral... Are we putting our moral philosopher hats on here? Are we even philosophers? Can, do we have the ability to talk about this? Why? Why? Why not? <laughs> I mean, no. It's. I mean, you're you're perfectly right. So, uh, and, and we're still just talking about you know the legit tool exploited for malicious purposes, right? Because there were different examples in the past where again people were tricking ChatGPT uh, to show them. You know, I don't know how to create a bomb or something. And I also know that OpenAI, in that case, uh, you know, put in place a list of new uh, security controls to prevent that. And that's you know something that uh, will be like that on and on, like forever. It's it's basically a new application and a new uh, find the the vulnerability for this application. On the other end, and that's the second part of the news is. Why if I'm going to create my own ChatGPT without no controls at all, right? You don't have to find the bug. You don't have to find how to trick the tool in order to, um, you know, um, show how to create the bomb. My tool was designed specifically to show you how to make bombs, mm-hmm. right? Because that, that's its purpose. 
That's the scariest part, right? There, there's no one controlling it. There's no one putting efforts in making it more secure, even, even if there's no, uh, you know, uh, no guarantee. In that case, there's a guarantee. This is going to work no matter what if you want to do malicious stuff because that's done on purpose. That's scary. That's really scary. And I have just one question. Like, how, like I was hoping that malicious actors could not do something like that because at least they don't, they don't have access to the amount of data that is required right, to train something like this. But apparently they did, if we have to believe them, of course. Some someone had, should, you know, try this and make sure that it's really working as they uh, market it. But if they have access to that amount of data, now that's scary, because it means mm -hmm. that there's a, <laughs> I don't know, malicious open AI out there with the same or comparable, uh, you know, databases used to train stuff like this. Yeah, I mean, you you can broaden your horizon even more of like, okay, well, maybe this AI thing's a mistake. Maybe we should put the halt on it. Well, okay, the good guys will, but <laughs> China's going to try to be like, oh, cool. I'm glad you stopped working on that. We're going to totally like dominate the world with our AI because we're going we're gonna to become like a thousand times more smarter than you with our computer abilities, right? And uh, so it's like, wait, why did we stop doing this? Now we can't defend against it. I mean, imagine creating an AI program that you know, no human in the world can beat in chess, and it's like, well, I there's no way anyone could ever beat this, and then that's what you're dealing with, with you know, just you know, expand that to disinformation campaigns or, you know, just convincing you this is what you need to buy. Like, it just it's impossible to fight against that kind of intelligence as a human unless you have something on your side of the court to fight with you. Uh, yeah, and uh, it, 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 this is what we're creating. We're creating stuff that's smarter than us in every way to defeat us. Or, or, I mean, it's one of the way, it's one of the uses of it. Yeah, yeah, you can think about it like in this, in this, uh, in this way. But it's like a never-ending story, right? We, as humans, we created malware, and then we created, you know, uh, anti-malwares. Are we creating phishing, phishing emails and maybe we add anti-spam solutions and so on and so forth. This will be really something that will happen again and again. And that's the same for AI tools, I believe, right? So um, it's, we are just, I think we are just creating technology and the first purpose is mostly to help humans, right? Now, it's just on the human you know, nature to find uh, the, the bad aspects, even in, in the good stuff. Again, it's an intrinsic vulnerability that we have. And there are some people that are going to exploit that stuff just because, again, either they need it or either they think it's, it's worth it, right? And they don't really care about, you know, legality and uh, ethical stuff. So I think, you know, again, it's not the, the best way to, to conclude the discussion, but uh, just says that we will have always uh, work to do in, uh, in this sense, right? Yeah, I mean, you've got a similar tool that's been out for a while called the Social Engineering Toolkit, which um, it's, a, it's what like a lot of penetrators, penetration testers do. And it was made by Dave Kennedy, uh, 
you know, a security who runs a security firm, binary defense. And um, it's like, here's how to craft a phishing email. Here's how to make a lookalike webpage. So it looks like the Facebook login, but when you type in the password, it goes to you instead of Facebook. And then it redirects you to Facebook real quick. So like, well, wrong password, try again. It's, oh, okay. And then when you get it right, you're actually in. And so there's all these really, I, I would say, sophisticated scraping tools to trick someone in social engineering situations. And it wasn't, I mean, it, it came in, and this is the weird thing, right? This, this worm GPT is on the dark net and it's, you know, some forbidden knowledge kind of stuff, but social engineering toolkit isn't. It's easily accessible on GitHub. It's widely used in the industry. Um, it's, it's just part of that. And so again, it's like, what, where, what are you using this for? Are you using it for educational purposes or using it for criminal activity? And does that matter at all? Because if criminals are using it and it's for educational purposes, then you're really just adding into this pile of like, man, you're just causing a whole bunch of crime to be committed. It's a, it's a weird ethical world to navigate right now. And it, it puts me in deep thought and, and all, like all, every day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think like the other example that's come to my mind is, uh, you know, stuff like uh, adversary simulation tools, like they're done by legit companies. They are, used by penetration testers but what happens when uh the the stuff get leaked right and anyone can start to use it so the purpose is everything right it's not the tool the tool can be used even if that's like a create you know phishing email stuff uh if that's used to um, increase awareness on an organization that could be a good cause but if if, if it's if it's used uh with other purposes, of course, it changes everything. And again, I don't think there's really an answer to this kind of thoughts. It's it's just important, I think, to the, to discuss about it because that's how you you find not not really definitive solutions, but at least a way to to keep with it, right? If we don't ever discuss about it, we just suffer. <laughs> from yeah from the, the, the other thing it reminds me of is back in high school when somebody brought the book uh, the anarchist cookbook to school and it felt like forbidden okay. knowledge like we're not supposed to have this right this is how to make bombs this is how to you know diffuse uh police in a situation i don't know i, I never actually read it but my friend had it and i was like how why are you having that get away get away from me right <laughs> like i don't want to be involved with this but at the same time i was like really curious like what's in there and um, and and it was like, oh man, somebody published the wrong stuff, right? It felt like this isn't stuff that should be available for a high schooler to be able to just pick up and tote it around in their backpack. But then the internet came and it just exploded all this knowledge. All this stuff that was forbidden or secret knowledge is no longer. You you know, you've got videos that were just figments of your imagination back when you were a kid that are like, yeah, we we found this retro uh, commercial that you remember from the 70s or 80s or wherever you grew up. And it's like, oh my gosh, how did someone save that? How is that even on the internet still? And it's amazing that everything is saved. And now that it's saved, it's saved forever. And now that it's out there, it's out there for anyone to see. And, and this just kind of takes, takes that to the next level of like, here we go again of this is for some forbidden knowledge. This is some sacred stuff. Nothing is forbidden anymore. Nothing is sacred. And let's just put all the data on the table that is out there. And yeah, it's, it, I don't know. It gives me that feeling again of like, wait, this shouldn't be allowed. But hmm. looking back at the anarchist cookbook, it's kind of 
yeah, these are these are pipe bombs. This is not like a nuclear bomb to explode. And the stuff that was crazy is like it's kind of impossible to make because you don't have access to that. And so it, it, it kind of seems silly that Anarchist Cookbook was even like a forbidden knowledge nowadays because it's just I don't know. It's smaller compared to what's out there today, like bioweapons and stuff today. You know, it's just it seems a much bigger thing. Yeah, you, you can you can find pretty much anything today no especially now if you have also the say the, the skills or the knowledge uh, even to access the dark web it's even worse but there's also you know so much in the in the clear web that maybe you don't even have to <laughs> right uh if, you, if right. you know how to search if you know what to search and if you have ai tools that are helping you with that maybe <laughs> that, that's even worse uh but yeah i guess that again this is a very big I would say, yeah, kind of philosophical slash ethical, uh, you know, discussion that will never end probably. And maybe there's, there's also some good about it, right? Uh, it says a lot, I think, about, you know, not only this industry, but again, humans in general. Uh, and But I still think that technology is a good thing, right? Even just because, you know, someone is going to use it for bad purposes, we, we should not really limit it yeah. or stop it or whatever. Right. I mean, like it goes back to fire, right? Is fire good or bad? Well, it's destructive and can kill you, but it's fantastic because it gives us heat and cooks our food and Light, we need it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jack, yeah, it's, I don't know what you think. A, it's a weird world that we're walking into. It's very strange. Absolutely, but that's also the uh, you know the you know the the good thing about it. I think it's interesting, right? So if it's not interesting, there's no no purpose. So yeah, well, it's very exciting because you know if you think about, in my opinion, like we've gone through some major revolutions of just technology, and over time we've had the industrial revolution that just changed everything, um, and then there's the electrical age that just changed everything once again, and then there was the technology age, which is you know computers and such, which changed everything again. You like everybody was impacted by every one of these major revolutions, and I really think this AI shift is going to you know this ai introduction is really going to change everything as well everybody on the planet will be impacted by ai um and we're right here at the precipice of it walking into it not knowing what our future is going to be because it could be it could be catastrophic they could take over the world and um decide to make us slaves and and we don't know <laughs> what our future is going to be. And we're, here we go, excited to go into it. So, it, I mean, if anything, it's not boring. No, no, definitely. <laughs> boring is the last thing that you can say about this. And I, you know, I just think it's it's happening so quickly. Like, what's next? What what can come after this? I, I can even, you know, <laughs> uh, think about it. Like, do we have any other kind of, technology revolution that could be at the same level of this mm. i really have no idea. yeah i mean it, we're gonna we're gonna be expanding out of our planet i think would be eventual right so taking taking all the energy of the sun and harnessing it all like what, what do we get like a small quarter percent <laughs> of like the energy that the sun is beating down on us like just imagine all the energy that it's given us and we're harvesting it all but then all the energy that the sun is just producing just put it like a, a cup around the whole sun and like suck it all up um 
that that is like another stage right and then being able to travel to other planets and other parts of the universe the whole universe we have is totally untouched and untapped so we have quite a bit more to go technologic technologically wise and that's exciting that there's a lot of unexplored parts of the universe still yeah i see some good comments in there just to reach the end so um uh Davide, that again was another guest in a previous um, episode, saying that there will be always someone else that is thinking about things in a different way, right? And the continuous of that is that, yeah, hope that he or she is a good guy, right? Yeah. When when <laughs> when they can find something like a different aspect of a new technology or just a new technology, someone else is suggesting what's next, quantum computing, right? Uh, I think Google just announced a very new advancement in uh, in that kind of uh, uh, technology, and we know already that that's gonna uh, disrupt what we know about computing today. So that could definitely be something. What about if we combine quantum computing and AI? Like my mind is not enough to <laughs> to contain the the thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, I think um I think we might see also AI chips being produced, right? Where it just is right on board the chip and you can put that chip yeah. on whatever operating or, you know whatever device you have. Um and then that that'll be interesting as well, but today you can't really buy them. They're they're like the proof of concept is there, but it's not for sale. Mhm. Mm yeah, like something like the, the market name that like the buzzword could be something like AI as a firmware <laughs> or something. <laughs> Yeah. And, it's you know, be... I, I was listening to um, Mark Andreessen talking about, you know, I think he produced an article recently about how just like it's not going to like AI is not going to be like this evil end of our lives kind of thing and gave all these reasons why. And I really think he was tone deaf on the whole thing. But he um, he he said, like, like, this is the reason why I think he's tone deaf, like just just one of the reasons, I guess, is. um. He's like, it's all created by humans. We can pull the plug on it whenever it goes rogue. If it goes bad, we can just say, yeah, that's it. You're done. You, you, we've got to make you know some adjustments to it or whatever. And I'm just like, Mark, have you ever been a victim of a cyber attack? You can't just pull the plug on the computer. Like that's what, that's what the trope is on TV where you see like some cowboy say, what's going on? And, and they're like, I can't get the frame, the mainframes down and the hacker got into it. And then he just walks over and pulls the plug out of the computer. <laughs> Problem solved, ha <laughs> ha, and walks out of the room. No, that's not the case. <laughs> that's not how it works, dude. You, when, it, when AI is controlling the stock exchange, you can't unplug it and say, okay, the stock exchange is down until we get this AI sorted or the electrical grid or the satellites or like whatever we're integrating it into our world. It's not something you can pull the plug on. It's it's integrated and in, like you can't say, oh, let's turn the internet off for the day until we get this sorted. It, no, dude, this is integrated into our lives in a very very deep and meaningful way. It has to be. It, like, it, <laughs> like, and the other thing is, if you're not, if you don't think this is intelligent, then then you can pull the plug. But if it is intelligent, then you can't pull the plug on it. Like, pay, make up your mind. Is this an intelligence? And do you give it respect? Like, this is a very intelligent thing we're dealing with. Because if you are giving it that respect, then it's like, 
yeah, we can't control it because it keeps dodging us. But if it's like, yeah, it's we're we're smarter than it, and we can we you know we're always going to be more intelligent than it. Then you're not giving it the respect that it that it actually deserves. It is more intelligent than us in some ways. I really hope that we're not going to you know start treating AI like a virus or something at some point. <laughs> that that's going to be like the probably worst scenario. <laughs> something like that we oh, have yeah. really to get rid of. Hopefully no, I'm 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 predicting we'll see some. Yeah, I do predict that we'll see some of the world's most devastating cyber attacks just because it's AI driven. Like it's not even behind a computer. And it's not that AI went rogue, but somebody was just like, hey, make the world's worst cyber attack and make <laughs> the world's worst worm. Like here's worm GPT, but it, it's kind of tongue in cheek. That's not actually making, you know, the world's worst worm. It's it's making phishing emails. But, you know, why not make the world's craziest thing and then just destroy the whole world? Like you could, and maybe it's not really granted that it's going to be only cyber, right? At some point, I I think that I really uh, believe that you know we're going to make physical you know bodies for these AIs. Maybe we 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 are doing that already. Like we're talking about you know robots uh, that can even physically harm potentially someone. Mm -hmm. That's I don't know what's worse. I don't know because probably they can do a mess even before that. <laughs> uh, but you know, it definitely will be interesting to to, to follow mm -hmm. this all of this development. Like, yeah, we will never get bored for sure. Absolutely, it's wild. It's a wild new world, and it's exciting to watch. Yeah, absolutely. That that's I think that's the perfect last phrase for the episode, um, Jack. I really thank you very much, so, so much. It was definitely interesting and fun, which is the most interesting, uh, important thing. Yeah, yeah, this was you, fun you going over the news well. with you. I enjoyed it as well. Thanks for having me on. Great. So thank you, Jack. Thank you for all the people who are still watching at this time. You are crazy, guys. It's like one hour and 45. You are totally crazy. And if you are that crazy, and you really want to you know, see new episodes of this, please uh, you know, uh, hit that follow button, maybe share this, maybe rewatch this on YouTube, and uh, maybe hit also the subscribe button there. Uh, I see someone still commenting. Thank you very much, guys, to, to you know, have been with us uh, so, so far, and see you on the next episode. Thank you very much again, Jack. Uh, it was really a pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.